Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. So continuing through Ecclesiastes, and I come to chapter 9, and chapter, let's see, turn this on, oh, there, chapter 9, it's kind of interesting, it, it, it starts out this way, he says, it's the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one, so is the sinner. He who swears and he who shuns an oath. This is evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. And what, what event is he talking about? Death, isn't he? Like the same thing. It's like it doesn't seem to matter what happens. I was on Facebook and one of the guys in our men's group, his um, wife's like cousin, had somebody cross the median with a death wish and drove right into the car. And then a truck ran, hit him, you know, was following behind him. It was just a horrible thing. And you look and you're like, this good and evil and the same event happens to them all. And sometimes I ask myself, you know, we look out at the world and we're like, there seems to be injustice that's going on. And what would Jesus say when he's presented with injustice? I mean, what would you think if Jesus was presented like, hey, Jesus, what do you think about this injustice? What do you think he'd say? Well, in Luke 13, he was presented with an injustice. Jesus is out there and they go, Jesus, why did the temple, why did that, like, not, not temple, but why, why did that mound, like, fall on, that tower fall on these people? The Tower of Siloam, Luke 13. And, and then they go, why did, you know, these guys were offering a sacrifice, and then Herod's people came in and slaughtered them and mixed their blood with the sacrifice that they were offering. So you got, like, these righteous people, and, and they, they, they get slaughtered. And they're saying, Jesus, why these bad things happen to these good people? And you know what he says? He doesn't answer their question. Hey, unless you repent, the same thing might happen to you. Like, what? Like, like Jesus is always turning it back to us, isn't he? He's always turning it back to us. And, and when he looks at injustice, look at this. He, he says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Why? Look what God does. He makes it shine, the sunrise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus looks out at wickedness, or the Father looks out at wickedness, and he still loves his enemies. Isn't that like... And he's like, Jesus is like, yeah. And what makes it even like turns a knife even a little bit harder... We're like, oh, yeah, the disciples are the good guys, right? And the other people are bad. But you remember when Jesus is talking to his disciples? So if you who are evil, what? What did you just say to me? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more? You're like, did he, did he just call me evil, Peter? Did he do that, right? Yeah, because he sees the hearts of men. And he's like, your father is being gracious to you in, in the moment. And, and I think... One of the messages of Ecclesiastes is God has given us so much. 
And life is truly a gift. You know, we look and see injustice, and God looks out and goes, no, I'm gracious to all those wicked people. Life is a gift. Because he goes on and he goes, go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved of what you do. Let your garment be always white. Let, your, let not oil be lacking on your head. This was written in the 50s. Uh, enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of your short life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So in this section, he's going, enjoy the gifts God has given you. He's like, you got relationships? Enjoy them, right? You have bread, you have wine, you have food. Enjoy it. Now, we're not all dressed in white today. Well, there's just a little bit, right? But back then, you know, this was a white robe. This was a, a wonderful occasion, right? And your hair, like, it's not bad to wear makeup. It's not bad to look okay. I always say better to be attractive than distractive, right? You know? <clears throat> and, and so you always want to, like, 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 he's like, these are all gifts from God. I mean, these are gifts. I mean, when was the last time that, that you were thankful for the gifts that God gives you? He goes on and he's like, be thankful for your work. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom where in Sheol. Like, do it now. Now is the chance, right? Um, Some years ago, I was mowing the grass. And I had a wonderful neighbor. And he died of cancer. And he was just like eating him up on the inside. And his last year or so, he, he was living off in, in intervenous, like right into his veins, food. And he was jaundice. And the doctor's like, I, I don't know anybody's lived as long as you, you know. And he had a stint in the hospital, a stint in the hospital, and came home one day, and I'm cutting the grass. Now, I was not joyful in my grass cutting. Some of you love grass cutting. That day, I wasn't joyful, and I particularly don't like to bag, right? And I'm bagging and cutting, and my neighbor, who had just been uh, coming home from the hospital, stops, gets out of the car. I turn off the mower to greet him, and he breathes deep and says, I love the smell of fresh-cut grass. And it's like right in my face, my ingratitude. My th- you know what I'm saying? He's like, and I'm like, oh, Lord. You know, for, and this is all it takes many times to appreciate what God has given us. It is a, a mind change, right? To see the world differently. It was cold this week, wasn't it? Thank God for an internal combustion engine. You could be sitting on a log in your car, but you have like a really comfortable seat. Some of you got heated steering wheels and heated seats. When was the last time you put your fanny in there and said, thank you, Lord, for heated seats, right? You know, I mean, this is what's beautiful about it. Uh, the author of the book I've been reading says this. He goes, I, I think this list... Uh, of thankful things can be expanded. Ride a bike, see the Grand Canyon, go to the theater, learn and make music, visit the sick, care for the dying, cook a meal, feed the hungry, watch a film, read a book, laugh with some friends till it makes you cry. I intentionally put a movie on this week that I knew I would belly laugh. I'm probably, I'll tell you, it's maybe not for kids. So it's that bridesmaid movie with that one scene... They have like some bathroom issues. 
And I just, I, I, I did it because I wanted to laugh. That's the only reason. I could stop after that scene in that movie because that's hilarious. Um, <clears throat> and, laugh. Like, it's a good thing. Play football, run a marathon, snorkel, listen to Mozart, call your parents, write a letter, play with your kids, spend money, spend your money, learn a language, plant a church, start a school, speak about Christ, travel somewhere you've never been, adopt a child, give away your fortune and then some, shape someone else's life by laying down yours. Like, there are so many things that we can do and we can give thanks for in this world. And so I want to just unpack this whole concept of life being a gift. Because I think if the church could get a hold of this, it would change us. Like we would be different people on a regular basis. Because you know what? I think when you see life as a gift, it strengthens your relationship with God. You're like, what? You're like, oh, I want to grow in Christ. Well, see life as a gift. Uh, brain studies, people who study our brains said this, what happens in your brain when you give a gift is this, gift giving, gift giving activates regions of the brain associated with pleasure, social connection, trust, creating warm glow and effect. It feels good to give a gift, doesn't it? Guess what? When you receive a gift, you get the same stuff. Now, not if it's like something you don't like, but... <laughs> The studies also suggest that receiving a gift is on par with giving, like the same brain chemicals, the oxytocin. Like like when you rejoice in the gifts God has given you, you're bonding more with God, right? Look at that. If you're given a gift from someone who cares about you, God might care about you a lot and really loves you to give his life for you, then it's gotten you It yields the similar oxytocin-laying reward response. Oxytocin, that's the breastfeeding hormone. That's bonds mother and child. It it connects us. You you touch somebody, oxytocin is released if it's a a friend. Does that make sense? So here, you and I, when we go out into the world, when we wake up in the morning, when you learn to see life as a gift, you can do what you thought you could never do. Pray always. You're like, how do I pray always, right? Our Father out in heaven, hallowed be the name. You're like, how do I pray and live my life? Well, if you're in communion with God and you walk out and you're thankful. I'm on this group and I'm interviewing people, pastors, for a position with our district. This is just a thing I was asked to do. And so I met this wonderful pastor on Zoom this week, and he told us how he was paralyzed. And um, they told him he'd never walk, and he goes, I'm walking. And he goes, "I, I live with pain, but I'd rather have pain than not feel anything at all. So I'm thankful for my pain. I'm like, what? What? He's praying always, right? Lord, I'm thankful for my pain because I feel something, right? I mean, look at that. This, when you can go out into the world and give thanks for the things, all of a sudden, it's strengthening your relationship with God. Now, if you're like me, you have to prime the pump because you wake up in the morning and maybe things aren't as you want. My wife may wake up and go, oh, my husband didn't do the dishes, right? You know, I mean, you can, you can have a, a, a big sense of entitlement, but I, I think you prime the pump by walking out and going, I have a heated house, right? 
I have laundry. Like, I have machines that do laundry for me and machines that wash my dishes. Like, you know, like what's your favorite food? Anybody? Pizza, right? Jim Fenske? Cheeseburgers. Very easy to please, right? <laughs> Steak for others, right? Like, when was the last time you're like, thank you, Lord, for pizza? Like, truly. You have to... See, many times we appreciate things, but we're appreciating the gift and we don't connect the dots to the giver. I'd like a good cup of coffee. Thank you, Lord, for a good cup of coffee. Did you see that? Like, I think like we miss that when you connect the dots of life's pleasures and you start priming the pump, right? What's your favorite person to spend time with? That's an opportunity to go, thank you, Lord, for this person in my life, right? I mean, it, it, instead of just appreciating the person, you take it right up to God. You're wearing clothes, and I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> when was the last time you said, thank you, Lord, I have clothing to wear, right? And many of you, much clothing to wear, right? Multiple pieces, of, right? Like, like so much clothing. Um, and, and what about a game you play or, or, or whatever? Like, we can turn whatever we're doing that's legitimate pleasure into an opportunity to go, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Connect the dots up to God. It radically transforms your life. Now, I think it also protects you. What do I mean by that? Well, I think we have um, the ability to easily worship the things that bring us pleasure, significance, right? things that maybe make us look good or things we love, right? Well, all of a sudden, instead of taking those and making them opportunities to worship God, we start worshiping the thing. And in Romans, the apostle Paul, when he's kind of diagnosing the world, he looks out and he says, for although they knew God, they didn't honor him or, what's that next line? Give thanks. When was the last time you thought Thanksgiving actually protects you? a grateful heart as protection. They didn't give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish, their foolish hearts were darkened. Like somehow it disconnects you from God. And then all of a sudden, when we don't connect the dots to God, we start looking to the pleasures of life, to our success in business or job or parenting, and we say, you define me. You're what makes me. This is why I'm enough or special or whatever. And if you've ever done it, it sets you up for a fall. It it is a a recipe for depression, right? Tim Keller said, we'll ultimately either look to God or success or romance, family, status, popularity, beauty, something else to make us feel personally significant and secure and, and guide our choices. Right? And it, it's, it, it's all about worship. And it's subtle and it sneaks in there and you don't even know it till it's taken away. It's idolatry. I mean, we start worshiping the creature, the created stuff, and not the creator. Like, two, two guys are dating different women and, and they're madly in love, and then the ladies break up with them. And one guy's like, oh, that hurt. But there's more fish in the sea, right? And one guy, he's like, I just want to, like, jump off a building. 
Why? Because she was his God. She was his idol. She was, she was so much to him that she looked to him for what God, he looked to her for what God could only give him. You know it's an idol if it's taken away and you wish you were dead, right? And the Lord's like, hey, I want to protect you from that because I'm the only, only one that is made for that beautiful place in your heart. You put anything else there, it'll warp it. You put your kids there, you warp them. You put anything else there, it destroys them. And thanksgiving is the key that helps you out of this. Now, turn your thinking caps on, because Lewis has something beautiful to say about this type of idolatry. He goes, we may give our human loves the unconditional allegiance which we owe God. That's what I'm talking about. He says, then they become gods, then they become demons. What? Then they will destroy us and also destroy themselves. For natural loves that are allowed to become gods do not remain loves. They are still called so, but can become, in fact, complicated forms of hatred. It, because it kills us. Like the Lord is like, I got better things for you. And what is the key? It's not worshiping the gifts but connecting the dots in your heart, in your mind to the giver. And, you know, and when I do, I get little like touches of joy. You know, I get touches of joy. I mean, I think about the media that's going on right now and other people are watching this service. I'm like, thank you, Lord, that somehow you're blessing people who can't get here this morning, right? I think there's so many things to, to um, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to get your word out and bless others. Did you see that? I love this. Oh, so now you bring me flowers. Because the alternative, I'm sorry, the alternative to a life of gratitude is where my heart is sometimes. And that's a heart that's chronically discontent and complaining and judgmental. You ever been there? This is the heart of a person who lives with a demanding spirit without a sense of awe or wonder. Like, I'm owed a, a better job, a better relationship, better children, a better... Like, you just wake up with this kind of entitlement going on. When you feel this way, and when I feel this way, I take stuff, people, days, weeks for granted. I live with a sense of, I am owed all that I have. I live with a sense of entitlement, and you know what? Ingratitude makes the heart grow smaller and harder and colder day after day, and it's a miserable way to live. But it's so natural. I read this book, Shangtung Compound, and it was about um, expats in China when the Japanese army came in during World War II. They just rounded up the, the foreigners, and they put them in prison camps. And, and this one particular camp, Shangtung Compound, is where the guy who was in Chariots of Fire, he was... Uh, in prison there. And so was a guy named Langhorn Gilkey. And, and they talk about like what went on in the prison camp and how hard it was. And he says, you know, in the prison camp, we long for news. We long for a word of what's going on and how is the war going or what's, you know, they were just, just kept in this bubble. And he said, we long for food and we long for sweets and we long for like so much. And he said, then the war ended and we were let out. 
He goes, and at first we so appreciated all the, the sweets we could have and the news we could get. But he goes, it was only a matter of weeks until we weren't satisfied with that anymore. And we wanted even bigger, even greater, even more. Do you see that in your heart? Like God has gifted us with so much and there's so much to be grateful for. Yeah, you know, I gotta, you gotta love, I watch this every year, maybe you do too. Gretchen told me a lot of people have never seen It's a Wonderful Life, curious. Anybody not seen it? Wait, how about anybody seen it? You've not seen it, right? Not seen it, yeah. So, because you don't like black and white movies? So you know this old movie was just such a classic. And it's about a guy named George Bailey, and he, um, he wishes that he had never been born. And so Angel Clarence gives him his wish. And then he gets to experience his town and his life, and his wife doesn't know him, and he's in this town that is horrible. He runs a, a savings and loan and would lend people money to build their homes and not exploit people and help people. And, and that town is a different town because there isn't a George Bailey. And then at the end of the movie, he returns to his own life with this marvelous change and totally appreciating everything. And I just love this scene. <laughs> His bank lost $8,000, and they're going to put him in jail. Did you hear that? I'm going to jail. It's great. scene actually happens after this when you watch it. I like watching an eight-minute clip tearing up. So you'll just have to check it out yourself, you know. Um, his whole attitude changed. Early in the movie, he's like, oh, this banister's falling apart. And I love it. He picks up the banister, kisses it, and puts it back in. You know, and what can we change about our life many times? What's in here, isn't it, right? 
Jesus, who the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. You're like, what? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that changes in us that protects us. Now, that scripture, again, says this, go eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Uh, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy the wife whom you love all the days of your short life that is given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. And the author of the book I've been reading said, those without Christ often abandon themselves to eating and drinking because sometimes it looks as if that's all there is to do before we die. But those who love Christ Cherish eating and drinking because it looks a little like what we will do after we die. See him connect the dots? See him connected to bread and wine? And not just that, he says, I find it interesting um, that the picture, the imagery is wedding imagery. There was food at weddings, there was wine at weddings, there was white garments at weddings, there was oil for the husband and wife, and, and the Bible has this picture of a wedding feast because a wedding is really a foretaste of what is to come. Like this is a, this, this joy that we find in this stuff is just a picture of the joy that we're going to find. And, and I've said it before, but I think it's worth saying again that there is in this picture of this divine marriage that guys, you are the bride of Christ Ladies, you get the bride, right? Ladies, you're sons of God. Men, you're brides of Christ. Get over it. It's just Bible imagery. But the church is the bride of Christ. And in this picture is the everlasting gobstopper of love. So for those who never saw the better original, um, <coughs> um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory would know that there's this candy that you could suck on it for the rest of your life, right? And it never loses its flavor. It's this wonderful, everlasting gobstopper. And you and I need a source of love that we can tap into when things are going well and other people are loving us like we should be loved and when other people are not loving us like we think we should be loved. How do you love when you don't feel any love, Right? I think what we have to do is we have to view God's mercies, right? We have, we, in Romans, you got the first 12 or 11 chapters all about the grace and mercy of God. And then in 12, he goes, now, in light of this, in light of all these chapters where I'm talking about what Jesus did, now respond and live like a living sacrifice. Don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you can renew your mind with this concept, you will have love. And the first thing you need to see yourself as is a 900-pound gorilla. Can you envision yourself as a 900-pound gorilla? I think that's a pretty attractive one. I don't see myself as attractive as that one, right? I couldn't find any ugly 900-pound gorillas. And what do I mean by that? You know how some people go, well, I married up, right? Oh, I married up. I have a secret for you. Jesus did not marry up. He married down. He married you and me. And if you know the book of Hosea, you know who Hosea married. Jesus didn't do any better, right? 
We are the 900-pound gorilla that he married. Can I tell you, when I'm not loving somebody, you know how I feel? I'm better than you, right? I'm better than you. I know I'm better than you, right? Because you did this to me, or they're not treat, right? Like, I'm up high, and when I see myself as a 900-pound gorilla, what does it do, right? Yeah, it drops you, doesn't it? It's like, no, I, no, no, you, Jesus, you married a 900-pound gorilla, yeah. And when you got married and I got married, you probably used language like this. Everything I have is yours, right? Unless you had a prenup. And then, you know, the, the bride says, everything I have is yours. There's like this, this beauty of everything being shared. The two become one. And you and I, we're the bride of Christ. So we're like, Lord, everything I have is yours, and we're like, oh, what do I have? A car, a house, life, talents. But if you really whittle that down, do you have any of that? Or are they gifts given to you by God? Our breath is a gift. Like, like everything we have, we just manage. You didn't bring it into the world. You're not going to take it out of the world, right? What do you have? When you were born, what did you have to offer God? Sin. Sorry. Babies are sinners. Do you ever teach your kids to lie? No. But one child, when I asked that question, said, my brother taught me to lie better. <clears throat> no. You know why you didn't have to teach them to lie? Because they were born sinners, right? Yeah. And I was born in sin, and the wages of sin is death, right? And death, sinners, death, and where do, where do those people go? Damnation, right? So you and I, we're the bride of Christ. And we go, Lord, I love you. Oh, they stand like this. I love you so much. Bride's over here. I love you. Mm, yeah. I love you so much. Uh, everything I have is yours. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'll take your sin. I'll take your death. I'll take your damnation right to the cross. I'll give you grace for your sin, life for your death, and salvation for your damnation. This is the greatest gift. Is that not beautiful? You want to appreciate gifts when you see nothing good about your life. You go back to the everlasting gobstopper. Your spouse, your boss, your kids aren't loving you like they should. You remind yourself, I don't love God like I should. I don't love Jesus as I should. I'm a 900-pound gorilla. And what does Jesus say? I'd marry that gorilla again. I'd love that. I love you so much today. Like, like his love transforms us, and then his love threw us out into the world. That's the everlasting gobstopper of love. Will you pray with me? Lord, draw us unto you. I pray for your church that we could have minds that are renewed, that we could have hearts that that don't worship the gift, but, but go right back to you. There's so many good gifts, Lord. Everybody here is a gift to each other. And for that, we say thank you. Thanks for a warm building. Thanks for all the gifts you give us, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.